This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 1st, episode 2467, brought to you by Stateline Tech. Good morning, Horse World. Hey, you made it to Wednesday. Only three days left till a weekend full of horsey fun. Lucky for you, you have Jamie and Glenn to get you through on Horses in the Morning. You know, usually we start right at nine o'clock. I'm usually sitting down and ready, but I had a little bit of a fright, Glenn. That's what why. Happened? What a happened? couple minutes late. I know you were gone extra time. Usually it doesn't take you that long to get your drink. Well, yeah, I usually run down and get a fresh cup of coffee and I run and I go to the restroom real quick because I've already had like two cups of coffee. And so <laughs> I run and, and now that I'm upstairs, I have my own little bathroom. So I run into this little bathroom and I go to the bathroom and I pee and I come running out. I go to flush the toilet and I look down on the toilet as I'm flushing, you know, hit the flush and something catches my eye and there's a ginormous wasp in the to the toilet, <laughs> floating and swimming. You could have gotten uh, stung in the most inconvenient place. There's a <laughs> lot of things that just could have happened really poorly. And the questions are: Was that in my pants? Yeah, and when I uh, that was my, my question. Down, actually, <laughs> like, did it fall out? Did was it there? And Were I you outside probably... this morning. Yes, I've already ridden two horses this morning. I, it's like snakes on a plane. Okay, like you yeah, gotta as look tight in as your riding toilet. pants are though. I think you'd know there was a wasp in there. Was it in my shirt? I don't know, Glenn. It's kind of <laughs> freaking me out that there's a ginormous number one, a wasp in my new house. Number two, in the toilet. Number three, my bare buns were just right <laughs> hovering on top of it. TMI. Good morning. Let's move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> on today's show, well, we're going to have a horse nutrition podcast health segment as we talk to Steve Krause about horseshoes. Man, we're going to get to the nitty gritty of horseshoes, what they are, why they're used, what they're made of. Plus, in our Black Rain segment, we speak to Professor, Professor Kamara Brown uh, Allen of William Woods University in Fulton, Missouri. Listen, sorry, I'm still, my adrenaline is still pretty high. <laughs> I, can I can't read very well you right now. You want me now. to do it? Are you okay? <laughs> Professor Kamara Brown Allen of William Woods University in Fulton, Missouri. Tune in. How's that? Is That's that better? Good. That's good. All right. Hey, do you remember we've talked about the horses, the wild horses on North Carolina's Outer Banks? Is this the one that get that kicked the lady the other no, day? No, no, this is a different one. These are a different group. The one that okay. was kicked the lady the other day was Assateague. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is uh, on the Outer Banks in North Carolina. They have these 100 horses that have been there forever, like 500 years ago. I mean, I've been there for a long time. Well, they're finally, what they're doing now is they're gathering them all up, and they're doing DNA tests on them, because they really, I mean, the, they always assumed they came from Spanish settlers, you know, that they were Spanish horses, came from Spanish settlers, but nobody was quite sure. So they're doing this DNA project, and they're trying to nail down the true lineage of every horse roaming out there, which they said is about 100. 
they want to chart all of the relationships among the wild horses uh, through the many different generations, and they're hoping that uh, they can find out which breeds represent each horse, and eventually they'd like to learn more about both the Spanish and other ancestry that is all involved in this, but they do also want to do, do it do, for breeding purposes for these horses too. I was going to say, do they control the population? Well, is this the pony pending? Do they swim these? Do they adopt any amount? Or no, is it just like a constant just steady hundred? As far as I know, this group has just been there and they, they do follow them and they do try and track who's breeding with who, but apparently sometimes the stallions, you know, <laughs> whatever's handy, right? So instead of being the one with their own girls, they they end up with other girls and, they have their own little harems out there, but uh, and they do think they know where most of men the are pigs. <laughs> by the way, let's just put that out there. Uh, Go ahead. They do think they know where most of the folds come from, but they're they're not quite always sure, right? So, I think it's going to be interesting because it's a group that's been wild for so long to see what lineage they do have. It's kind of like looking at what your mustangs were, right? Mm-hmm. So, except they're very East Coast and they've lived on these islands for a long time. We talked about these last during one of the hurricanes last year because they were out there during the hurricane and mm-hmm. all of them survived um, during the hurricane. And it was it was a wicked hurricane, too. So, just interesting study going on over there cool. in North Carolina. All right, Daily Winnie time. All right, uh, two birthdays today with our terrific auditors, Sharon Silva and Aaron Rogers. It's their birthdays today. And also, I have to do a second Daily Winnie. Now, this Daily Winnie goes out to all of our friends in Canada. Happy Canada Day, everybody, to our Canadian listeners. We don't get the day off for that? Um, We don't. They do, apparently. (laughs) They get the day off. But uh, uh, we, you know, it's still our second largest listening audience outside the United States is our Canadians. And for those of us in America and the rest of the world that have no idea what Canada Day is, apparently it celebrates the anniversary of July 1st, 1867, which was the effective date of the Constitution Act. Now, the Constitution Act united three separate colonies, the province of Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick, into a single dominion within the British Empire called Canada. So it's kind of their Independence Day. Kind of like our 4th of July, and they celebrate it every year. And last year, I played a bit of O Canada, and I played just a couple seconds of it, and I got so much crap from our Canadian (laughs) listeners that we didn't play the whole thing. So here you go. Do we ever play the national anthem? Hello? Okay, whatever, I am not getting in trouble again. Uh, You're all too nice. Well, a lot of them are auditors, and I want them to keep paying. So there's Uh that. So here's O Canada. Canada. It's about a minute and a half, but it is the tenors playing at a basketball, or singing at a basketball game, and they're actually really good. So here you go. I know all the words, by the way, Please don't sing along. That's French, Jamie. 
I know all these words too. Oh, okay. I told you they were good. So now you, uh, this makes me very sad, by the way. I am very sad having to play what, that song. What? That I didn't sing it along with you? I said, uh, no. It's that we, we should have last week gotten home from our 11 days in Canada trip. <sighs> yeah, you ain't going for a while. <laughs> Yeah, they're not letting anybody in. None of you can come now. (laughs) None of you. No, we were supposed to do our 11-night cruise of Canada and see all of those places, the province of Canada, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. We were going to all those places. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, that does make me sad, by the way. Just sad. My turn for Daily Wing. your turn. Let's move on. All right, I got to find it anyway. I gotta give a daily winnie out to one of our listeners and auditors and friends, Nellie Kennedy. Nellie is just amazing, and she won't let me tell you all the wonderful things that she does because she does them quietly. But I just want to let you know, Nellie Kennedy does lots of wonderful things. And like I said, Nellie, all I need is ten minute notice to get the front gate open for you to come visit. Uh, <laughs> she said that she's like you should work. The the board of Oklahoma tourism should pay you because like. I've never wanted to go to Oklahoma before, but now I do. <laughs> like I said, come I have on. to admit, I'm kind of in that category too. <laughs> it's not been you on my bucket list. It's not been on my bucket list until you moved there. Oh, see, oh, you know what? I'm going to start compiling these and send them to the Oklahoma Board <laughs> yeah, of Tourism. Maybe we can get them to advertise. Yeah, that'd be good. There's a, I'm pretty sure that they would pull any advertisement had they listened to the show a year ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or any time recently, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You say so many show. nice things about all the people that live there. <laughs> <laughs> you too can meet all the wonderful Oklahoma people. <laughs> so uh, there, uh, there was a birth recently. A new rare breed of royal just was born at Hampton Court Palace on June the 10th, a Grey Shire Colt. The first Shire foal to be born in London in living memory. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you thought you followed your royals really well, didn't you? Did uh, Charlotte have another baby? <laughs> no, a Shire like, did. Charlotte, not Charlotte, have another one. Sorry. <laughs> so Shire foal, uh, first one born in living memory. King George V was the last of the royal family to breed Shires at the Royal Stud in Sandringham. 
Uh, there's only 1,500 Shires left in the world. I thought there were more than that, because we seem to see a lot of them here in the United States. And less than 200 gray Shires, and he was a gray. So he's quite special. He's really cute. There's pictures of him. Uh, they said he's going to be at least 18 hands, uh, and he knows he's special. It, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that horse is going to have a pretty good life. A pretty pampered life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that. Uh, so... So, uh, in 1540, Henry VIII created a law saying people should stop breeding with small horses because he wanted to create a bigger war horse. And now seeing these 18-hand horses parade around the gardens makes you think that Henry would have been very pleased. So, Henry VIII was like, no more of these little horses. I want big horses. But then Henry VIII in his later life was a little fat. So uh, can maybe. we yeah, can we not celebrate anything Henry the Eighth did on the show? Well, I'm not saying I'm celebrating it, I'm just saying that's what he did. <laughs> Henry the Eighth is happy in his grave now. No, he's not, because he's probably in hell. <laughs> Just well, just a few wives. Um, <laughs> just murdered a few wives. <laughs> so the palace apparently now has 10 shires, including George. And that's what they named him. They named him George after oh, King George V. After the prince. Yeah, so he, they pull carriages and they do a lot of royal things over there. Um, and I did hear the queen, who has been locked up now in one of the castles in England, Windsor, is now going to continue and she is going to travel to Scotland, as she has for the last, I think it's like 68 years years she summers in scotland and apparently they have released her uh she's also getting tired of being home uh you know it doesn't matter how big your house is <laughs> in a quarantine you get sick of it so she's heading up to uh to Balmoral. I, I mean, she can't possibly, like, she's the kind of person to be like, I've never been in this room before. This place is huge. <laughs> do you and know if how she's bored. <laughs> do you know how they're working their staff? So what they're doing with the staff, I read this this morning, it's fascinating. So she has like 20 people around her, which is less than usual, by the way. Um, so what they do is they work three-week shifts. So they work every day for three weeks, and then they trade with a new group coming in that works every day for three weeks. And what they have to do is they get to go home for two weeks, and then they have to be in quarantine at a hotel for a week before they come back to the castle, and they get tested like they get tested like every four or five days, even while they're working. But that's how they're doing it, to make sure she doesn't get sick. And do you realize that Prince Philip just turned 99? You know, I've got to say out there that just to let everybody know that she has not called me. I wanted that was my name. I was actually my whole lead up <laughs> was to ask if she's called. I mean, you. we don't really talk about the royals much. <laughs> this is kind of a heavy week of royalty. Yeah. It's because turns out for those who missed it, the Queen of England watched me train horses at the movement. Uh, me. Well, I might have had something to do with Monty Roberts being there too. <laughs> no, but she knew you were going to be there. I'm going to go. She listens to our me. show every day. Yeah. So, Hi, Your Majesty. You know we love so you. So I guess Call she us. has these Dale's ponies, and she rides them all the time still. And she watched Monty and I teach a horse to come to the mounting block. And I guess she said, "Terry, I would like my ponies to do that. They must come to the mounting block. Oh, you can't do it." Let's call the girl from America. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's happening right now. <laughs> and uh, that call will be coming any moment, especially uh, you know after what? she heard this. I know. After she heard me impersonate her, probably I ruined every chance. <laughs> Do I'm you think sorry. she listens to podcasts? No, she's too busy. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing we were talking about this morning. Jennifer and I were talking about it is how 
does she like have a iPad there and she knew exactly where to go to watch Monty's videos over the weekend? Or does she tell somebody set this up? She has people. It's like Monty always says, and then the queen called and I'm like, okay, stop. (laughs) Did the queen actually call you? Like you picked up the phone and said, hello, Monty, it's me, Elizabeth. And I'm like, did that happen? He's like, well, not really. I mean, <laughs> her people called and then handed her the phone. I'm like, okay, that makes more sense now. Okay. Because I don't imagine her being like, what is the America zero one one? What is it? Plus two three? I don't know. How does this work? I don't understand. And did they set it up like ahead of time or does she just like call a cell phone out of the blue? Monty Roberts has no <laughs> cell phone. He doesn't? God, no. He really doesn't have a cell phone? No, he'd never have a cell phone. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what he does in the farm is he's got a button he can push and he'll call any room. It's like one of those, Debbie, are you there? It's Hello? like the queen. Click off. <laughs> next next room, you hear him go, Debbie? <laughs> Debbie, are you in here? He doesn't. Ha- How's he it's call like, home when he's on the road? He has an assistant. The dude's like 85 years old. It's like uh, my yeah, no, dad has a heart out of time with a cell phone. <laughs> and there are 85-year-olds that use cell phones. You realize that, right? He refuses. He's kind of an old school. <laughs> Pat uses this. Please tell me Pat uses a cell phone. Uh, Pat is. Monty would not survive without that woman. Okay, enough talking about her. Let's get to weirdness. Right. Pat is amazing, and she basically <laughs> runs everything. Pat All right. and Debbie. All right, two quick stories here, and then we'll get the weird news. One is good news and bad news on the COVID front. Good news is the Kentucky Derby is going to allow spectators in September. That was just announced. Now, there's all kinds of rules, and they're gonna. it's going to be a lot less spectators, and spectators won't even be able to let go out to watch where they saddle up and all that stuff. Uh, so there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of rules and and a lot less tickets and all of that. But there will be spectators. That's the that's the announcement. And I imagine you're going to have to be somebody who knows somebody to get a ticket. <laughs> I'm I know somebody. Yeah, you know, know the queen like to go. You know the we we did a report. The queen has actually gone twice. I think to Kentucky Derby over the years. I love Kentucky. <laughs> all right. The bad news for our New England visitor or listeners, and there's a lot of you I know, is that equine affair in November is not happening in uh, in Massachusetts because of COVID, and also the Big E, which is one of the largest agricultural outdoor fairs in the country, is not happening either. So, uh, you all up there? Is that one no fairs. Swine for flu? You. Yeah, that that's a swine, swine flu? flu. Yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> let's start that rumor now. Why not? <laughs> all right, you have some. Uh, is it time for some weird news? It's time. Police in Australia became involved in an unusual chase when a pair of, and this is a weird news story involving horses. Race horses escaped from a training facility, went running through busy roads and urban areas. The authorities said, and this happened a couple weeks ago, it took that long for it to get all the way to me, the news story, um, <laughs> from across the globe. Uh, the Horses escaped from the Lark Hill Thoroughbred Training Facility in Port Kennedy, Western Australia. Why, uh, Glenn, do you think that the horses ran away? I I think they crashed through the fence or Zeus was there and opened the gate. (laughs) That's close. Uh, No, uh, they were spooked by nearby kangaroos. (laughs) 
the horses bucked their riders off and one was <laughs> caught on video running down the grass medium uh, median of a busy road with a police car chasing it. That's really going to slow the horse down. Probably with the uh, sirens going. Yeah, it was <laughs> captured five miles. Whoa, that, that sucker got That's his a training out. day. <laughs> yeah, and the other one was captured in a shopping center two miles from the training center. <laughs> so the Both one went on a five-mile workout and the other one went shopping. I'm going to go. The the reason that it ran for five miles is because it was being chased by a police car. <laughs> Please tell me the one that stopped to go shopping was a mayor. Please tell me that. I, uh, it had to be, obviously. <laughs> she has got good taste. Um, go, uh, Next story. Okay, this TikTok thing is getting out of control. It's like, uh, do you know what TikTok is? Yeah, yeah. It's a little video. You play little. I don't have it. I don't do it either. I all I've learned is that TikTok is collecting your information and sending it to the Chinese government. Yeah, That's which what is I why I don't have it, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So TikTok, uh, police in Louisiana. Let's we went from Australia. Now we're heading to Louisiana. What could possibly <laughs> go, go wrong? wrong. <laughs> this guy, his name is Kevin Wise. He's 26 years old, and he went on TikTok and said, "If I get 2,000 likes, y'all, I'll jump in the tank at the Bass Pro Shop." <laughs> well. I got way more than that, and I didn't want to be no liar. So, oh my God. Shopper Treasure McGraw <laughs> took a video after she heard a ginormous splash in the fish oh tank God. at the Bass Pro Shop. She said, We heard a big splash and we thought it was one of the fish. My fiance was like, Oh my God, somebody's in the tank and we saw the guy swimming. Oh and God. so I got out my phone. She didn't say this part, but I got my phone and took a video and here he is. Uh, Wise was charged with simple, simple criminal damage to property and released with the citation. But Bass Pro Shops is pissed because they're like, We had to empty out the 13,000 gallon aquarium and cleaned it after that boy hopped in there and swam around. Um, so he does say, Kevin does say that he does continue to make videos for his followers, but cautioned other people about doing similar spur of the moment pranks. No you know what? I've been in jail, but <laughs> it don't matter because I got 2,000 likes on TikTok. Oh my God. Have you God. ever been to a Bass Pro Shop and seen the size of that tank? You couldn't pay me a million dollars to get in there. You're eaten by some catfish that's 42 feet long. Too bad there wasn't a barracuda in there. They'd just take one little chunk out. While I just there. thought I'd take a little bite. Okay. <laughs> Two more. My God. San Francisco, California. Let's move there from, from uh, all of these are animal stories today. And we're going to go to San Francisco because... You know that that part of San Francisco that has a really windy downhill road, Lombard Street. Yes, yeah, the one it's with the hill. Very goes famous, real, yeah, the hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it in every right movie down. ever made. Exactly. Um, well, uh, there was a there was a spotting of a mountain lion, <laughs> kind of right around that area, and it was sleeping really? in a planter box along a busy city street. Apparently, looking at his reflection in the glass of an in office San tower Francisco. in downtown. And near Lombard Street. Um, yes, he was spotted and it took four days, I believe, to find him. Two days until he was spotted by police. He he roamed the city streets of San Francisco for two days. Imagine the people in San Francisco were like, oh, I can't go out on the street. Like COVID's because, not bad enough. <laughs> you know what? This is a great way to keep people from going outside. Oh, is just yeah. create report. Let loose the cat. <laughs> Maybe so that's I, how to keep everybody in the house, right? I know, yeah. exactly. In downtown a San Francisco. A few bears, you a few mountain lions, a few tigers. I, I mean. 
Yeah, exactly. Police did send out a a tweet urging people to stay vigilant. Apparently, (laughs) it might be lost. Yeah, stay vigilant. Um, yeah, they ended up catching it oh, they without oh, okay. use of sedation, and gra- they basically, and then they they put the camera. There's like a little video, and they netted it and then put it in a box, but didn't take the net off. So this poor melt line is like looking at you with out of a box with like they this caught net it over with his a face. net. They netted it. With I don't know, and then shoved it into a box. Wow. I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Who'd want to be post- the guy standing close enough to throw the net? I wouldn't want to, but uh, <laughs> not. It was the guy in the fish tank. He he volunteered. Uh, and they called animal control. They were like, "We got him. Call animal control." And they they got him. We, anyway, you know what? We have to have an animal control person on sometime that works in like rural Louisiana and hear some of the stories. I bet oh you. My God. We, we need down. to do that. Could be a whole hour. We need to devote a whole show to that. Oh God, that's that or I'll find these these animal control people from the mountain lions. You know what? We're going to start compiling a list, and it's going to be the once a month, once a month animal control segment. Oh my God, (laughs) that's that's a great idea. Actually, put that down. Finally, we're going to stay in California because right now this is in Sierra Madre, 20 miles northeast of Los Angeles. Okay, but it's kind of a mountainous area. There is a 19 year old uh, woman who remains unidentified and she was just, you know, sitting out in her backyard napping in a chair in her back patio and she's like uh, sleeping, her eyes closed. And suddenly something started scratching her arms and legs and biting her. And she opened up her eyes and it was a freaking black bear. What? A black bear walked into okay, her backyard. Okay, what are the chances that you don't poop your pants at that point? <laughs> that's why she's unidentified. <laughs> she remains I, There is no human in the world that's not going to poop their pants at that point. Yeah, so <laughs> as she was being attacked, California Fish and Wildlife Captain Patrick Foy told USA Today that she fought it off the only way she could with the only thing that she had. Her chair? Handy. She grabbed her laptop and smacked the bear in the face with it. (laughs) She beat up a bear with her laptop. They said she managed to break free of the bear enough to run back inside. She suffered injuries to her arms and legs, none of which are life-threatening. But the attack was 100% unprovoked. And so since bears are not uncommon in the area, this kind of behavior for bears was was not good. Yeah, unusual. (laughs) Um, by the way, for I those would never who- freaking go outside again. <laughs> you got Mount California. Y'all are going to fall off the cliff. Y'all need to either buy lottery tickets or evacuate because there's mountain lions in San Francisco and bears in, in the LA. Backyard and you have a bear chewing on you when you wake up. <laughs> That's just like, ugh. for educational purposes, I would like to people know to know that it is, um, you know, they always say play dead if you're around a bear no not when he's chewing on you (laughs) that's grizzly bears black bears the unequivocal answer they say in california is to fight back and they did find two bears a female and her cub were captured last tuesday from fish and wildlife Uh, um but neither of their dna matched up so they've been relocated um and they're still on the lookout for the attack bear God, <laughs> that's, that's a spooky Crazy, one. right? The horse is on the loose. You got some good ones Bears, today. Bears, lions, yeah. <laughs> I did good. 
Good job. All right, let's talk about state line tech. You know, I went there and that message still came up 30% off orders over 20 on 29. Everything is free on state line tech. <laughs> so, uh, at least 30% off. I don't know if it's quite free. I just heard Chad laugh when I said that, but like <laughs> laugh uncomfortably. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's free. Uh, oh, God. It's like it's free at state line tech. They need a new motto and they could call it the Jamie model. It's like it's free at state line tech. Like it's so cheap, it's free. So, right now, right now, bugs are really bad. I don't know about you, but but flies here are just ridiculous. (laughs) And the mosquitoes. We had a lot of rain last week, so the mosquitoes hatched, and oh my god. So uh, they have all of their bug stuff. It's called the Pest Control Headquarters. It's right there. You can get fly sheets and repellent and masks and boots and vaccines. Jennifer orders her fly masks from there. She gets a certain kind for... Let me see what she gets for Nigel, because they don't fall apart as quickly as the others, and Nigel's really tough on his fly masks. And it's the casual one. It's the casual crusader one. Oh yeah. Casual Crusader is awesome. And, uh, as far as the fly boots, I love the Kensington. No, they, they don't, what are they called? Um, they don't fall down. So they like stay upright. The Kensington don't don't fall down boots. Yeah, but that's, I think that's what they're called. Oh, the the Kensington fly boots. They're just the Kensington. Do they have fleece on them too? Yeah. They're like a little fleece on the top, but they also like, they don't, part of the name is like, we don't, Fall down boots. I don't know. I'll look it up. Here. Yeah, they have. Uh, they also have uh, the Kensington fly boots right now in bubblegum. Non-collapsing fly boots. Yes. There you go. They have them in bubblegum uh, color, which is on sale now for 25% off because my guess is bubblegum wasn't very popular. It's the casual long-nosed fly pink. mask is the bomb for Zeus with, because he's got that white no- tip what, of his nose. That's what Nigel wears, too. Yep. Yeah. Because here the the you know the bugs and the mosquitoes and everything I mean they, get, they even get on their noses it's crazy uh, yeah so those are for sale right now over at uh, statelinetech.com. they also have vaccines they also have uh, the barn premises stuff all the fly catchers and different things like that they also have fly traps so Jennifer got I have to fa- find out the name of this she's been using this fly trap that oh my god within five days is full. It okay, really tell works. me all about it. I don't, I'll, I'll find out for Friday. I'll put that in my list to find out for Friday because I don't know what it's called. But uh, they work. And, and she has them I have all these over little the bag things that stink, but they work too. But. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of the same thing, only these are plastic. Um, and they, boy, they, they're just filled up. And boy, after a while, it smells like dead critters. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know what? I've got to say about all the fly control, excuse me, state line. I'm just going to bugger here. Um, those ones that you're supposed to empty out and refill, like the refillable yeah, ones. Yeah, no, she doesn't do that. Oh my she throws god! Them out. <laughs> she never. Throws them, she throws them out and buys new ones because uh, it's just gross. <laughs> I have a hard yeah. enough time carrying the bags. I know. She and then Stan Lee last night bit his because I have one in each oh, stall, like hanging by the no. ground. He bit it and spilled it all. Oh. Up. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Stateline Tech. StatelineTech.com. And get your uh, 30% off on orders over $129. Oh, yeah. You'll see it right even there. even have the vaccines the on there you can yep. buy from Stateline. All right, good. Well, let's. Uh, our next segment is the Horse Health Report. And it's brought to you by the Horse Nutrition Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. 
The Horse Nutrition Podcast covers topics you will all love. It highlights the world's most extraordinary horses, how they're trained, and what kind of nutrition they're given, a part of Purina's Full Rain documentary series. Go to PurinaMills.com slash Full Rain to see them all. A new episode just hit today about the amazing horses at uh, Brave Hearts Therapy. Uh, they work with veterans, and there's also one that just came out recently about movie horses that was one of the most fascinating interviews I've heard on any of our shows. The guy was terrific. So uh, check that out. Go to PurinaMills.com slash Full Rain. Well, today we have a regular guest. Tell us about him while I get him on. We've got Steve Krause, certified journeyman farrier, and he's also the head of farrier services at Cornell University, lecturer, large animal surgery, department of clinical sciences. He's got lots of things that surround his name. And um, if you guys aren't on it, you need to go join the Cornell. Hello. Hey, Steve, how are you? It's Hi. Jamie Glenn. Hey, good morning. Morning. Thank you for joining us. I was just telling people that what they need to do is to go follow the Facebook Cornell Barrier Program Facebook page because it is so educational and so you'll post very interesting cases. Yeah, yeah. We're we're we've been a little bit slow here because of the COVID situation, but things are picking up and there'll be new things being put on now regularly. It's like fact, horses uh, knew to not get hurt because nobody would come and see them. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we, we've been working on emergencies more than anything, um, uh, some of the ongoing cases. In fact, this morning I'm working on one that's pretty interesting. So I actually paused just so I could talk to you guys. Wow, that is uh, super kind about you. Do you want to uh, tell us what what you were working on, or do you want to just get right oh, to it? We our have a horse. Yeah, we have a a, 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 a hunter type show horse uh, with uh, had an MRI the other day and has a uh, deep digital uh, flexor tendon tear. Oh wow! And it kind of dovetails to what the the subject we're going to talk about this morning. Um, uh, so in order to rehabilitate this uh, flexor tendon tear, I'm going to use an aluminum wedge shoe on him to give him more support and take some strain off the deep flexor tendon. And then this morning we were talking, going to be talking about why we make shoes out of different materials. And so if this uh, wedge shoe was made out of steel instead of aluminum, it would be three times as heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So aluminum is a the weight of steel. Dia, look at you. You're getting so good at this radio stuff. You just dovetailed right into the topic. I mean, my gosh, that was impressive. So let's talk horseshoes. And the first question, what are they made of and why does it matter? And you kind of answered that. But Okay. So most common horseshoes that people see but um, are steel. And it's called mild steel. And not all steel is the same. And just a little metal urgy here. So iron is actually what we make into steel by adding more carbon to it. And the more carbon you put into uh, the steel as they're making it, the stiffer it gets and the more durable it is. So if you're going to make a horseshoe, which needs to be somewhat malleable, and some horseshoes are malleable cold to fit, it's what's called low carbon steel. And so it's very inexpensive, very easily worked with, whereas high carbon steel does not bend very easily and would actually crack if you forced it to bend without heat. 
So if you want to make a knife, you better make it out of high carbon steel, which might be a spring versus a horseshoe, which would never hold an edge. So mild steel is what we make, uh, or low carbon steel is what we make most horseshoes out of. It's very inexpensive. It's durable enough for most horses. So now I've heard, I've I've seen my farrier hot fitting and hot shoeing. Is that the low carbon steel as well? Or do you use high carbon steel? for those? No, no, there's almost, there is almost no reason at all to use a high carbon steel for horseshoes. There might be some very specialized, uh, ways where you can have an extremely light shoe on some like standard bred racehorses that needs the durability and the stiffness. Um, so they may have raised up the carbon content of some of the, um, uh, standard bred racing shoes, which are also steel, uh, to make them a little bit stiffer. But the reason why most barriers, uh, heat shoes up is as you get beyond a bigger cross section than a light shoe, it's very hard to shape even cold because the steel is stiff. So to get a better form fit of the horse's foot, we can put them in the forge. Most modern day common horseshoes, especially in the medium to lighter versions, are can either be fit hot or cold. It's just easier to do it hot. Okay, gotcha. So when you are fitting aluminum shoes, it doesn't seem like you, I mean, they're so light and they're so pliable. I know that I have a lot of horses that come to me directly off the track and we have to pull these racing plates and they're so light. How, how does that, how does that differ from using well, steel? To the, shape? the racing plate, you know, is obviously they're very young horses mostly. So the more weight they have to carry, you know, with basically immature bodies, the harder it is on them. The racing plate was developed, so you just cut down the weight. As I said, aluminum for the same cross-section. When we think about cross-sections of horseshoes, that's the width to the thickness ratio. So you can have different cross-sections for different mm-hmm. demands of what you know the horse is doing. So the aluminum that's used on racehorses is a very narrow, uh, very thin cross-section not a lot of durability, but very light, protects the foot and helps the horse uh, interface with the track so it doesn't slip. So those are a light version aluminum, what they call a racing plate, as opposed to aluminum horseshoes that you might see in the show horse ring, which are in some cases copies of steel shoes just made out of aluminum. So the same shoe, the same coverage, the same support a steel shoe would be is now two thirds less weight. Does so that yes, that makes a, a perfect sense. So why, if it's less weight, would anybody use steel over aluminum? And uh, is aluminum more expensive? Yes. Well, first of all, aluminum is more expensive. Number one. Number two, it's not as durable as steel. Um, and the reason why you want less weight, it's more for. Um, uh, lack of movement in the show ring. So think of the horse's leg as a pendulum. And if you have more weight on the end of that pendulum, the more animated it is when the horse moves and swings it. Okay. So if you're trying to reduce motion, like for instance, Western pleasure horses and, and hunter horses and so on, where you don't, you want a very low, long um, stride on a hunter, for instance, in the show ring, then the, the more weight you put on the end of that 
pendulum of the leg, the more swing and animation you get. So just the opposite, if you look at saddle breads, those shoes are made out of steel. They're much thicker cross-sections and really way up fast. And that gives the horse more of that animated up and down motion. So the weight does make a difference between what you're asking the horse to do. That's fascinating. So I just put that together. Now my horse growing up, I showed hunters for 20 years and he always had aluminum shoes on, but as an inventor, all of my horses use steel now. So see, you just answered a lifelong question, Steve. Amazing. So if you were to put aluminum on your inventor, which you can do in some cases, they, they do it like maybe a lighter bone horse that has trouble carrying the weight, your durability really uh, you know, goes away fast because mm-hmm. an inventor is putting a lot of miles on training mm-hmm. and you would wear through these shoes, even though some of these aluminum shoes have a steel wear plate inserted in them to, to help with the wear. Um, but again, the aluminum doesn't have the stiffness, doesn't have the longevity, um, and actually might flex a little bit, um, in hard use where the steel is much stiffer. The reason why we don't like it flexing a lot, especially the horses galloping on hard ground, is now the nails are working up and down and the foot could be, you know, uh, disrupted a little bit. So if you have a shoe that's too flexible uh, on a hard working horse, that's not going to help that hoof. Gotcha. You mentioned nails and I have a random question that wasn't on the list. Sorry. Uh, what is your... Something came out about using copper nails and copper nails are going to solve the shoeing. Cra- I don't know. I, it was a, supposed to be the next thing. Um, no. Do you use copper nails and what's the deal with those? Okay. They're not copper nails. They are copper coated nails. Okay. So most uh, horseshoe nails are made out of very, very soft steel. It's almost iron. So it's even softer than the horseshoes. And um, we call it dead soft steel. And, um, uh, the copper coating is, it can help with, uh, hoof wall bacterial infections. Um, so some of the studies that have been done there where they have looked at what steel does in a hoof wall over time versus copper, there's slightly less deterioration in some environments, um, with, with a copper nail. So um, in, in, in your environments that are more wet, where you have more bacteria, there's a certain antibacterial uh, effect that the copper has, but really it's not a major thing. The real bonus of copper-coated nails that's really helpful, where farriers are working in environments like close to the ocean, um, the nails steel reacts with the salt air and the nails corrode and, and get tarnished very easily. So the copper coating actually helps the nails stay very usable because once they get tarnished, they're hard to drive into a horse's feet or if they get any corrosion. And, um, and, and in, in, in wet environments, especially having the, the coating, and there's another company that uh, must add in Capewell makes uh, an Endura nail, which has a special metal coating that doesn't corrode also instead of copper. So all these nails are new advances on the market uh, that I helped develop with Mustad. And um, they're very useful. Uh, when you pull some of these nails out of the, the hooves after the shoeing cycle, they look brand new. So that's, wow. a, I think, a nice plus. Um, they, their nails are not likely to corrode. 
Um, there's always a certain amount of um, leaching of iron into the hoof wall, and that makes combines with the sulfur of the hoof, and that makes that little black ring you might see on a white foot. But that's not always a bacterial infection. Gosh, I mean, Glenn, Steve has forgotten more about hooves than we will ever know. <laughs> it's awesome. Now, I know you're uh, at work, so I'll just ask you one more question. Um, typical applications of different types of material, like glue-on shoes, for example, uh, do you, you ever work with those? Oh, sure. We do a lot of different glue-on shoes here. And the glue-on uh, market has definitely grown over the years. I first started gluing shoes on um, in 1985 with the original Mustad Glue Strider shoes. And it's really um, changed a lot in all these years since. Um, so there's several different basic types of glue-on shoes. You have direct glue shoes, which actually glue to the bottom of the hoof. There's several on the market. Um, I use Polyflex here a lot, which is um, made by my friend Curtis Burns down in Florida in Wellington. Um, and he started with uh, gluing these on to racehorses, and now they're kind of pretty popular in the uh, show horse world. And, the, and these uh, are a shoe that, if you do, again, difficult techniques to learn, but, but very durable, where you do glue this shoe that he produces right to the bottom of the hoof with special uh, adhesives. And again, technique is very, very important to get a good bond. Then there are, there are sim other similar shoes on the market. Some have wings on the side, like a big clip back in the quarters. So that's the easy care shoes that are out there, and I use them. And some of them come with like a frog support, so they're handy with a, a flat-soled or a laminitis horse, and we use some of them here also. And so they glue on the side as well as the bottom. Again, hoof prep is everything. And then for the most uh, very durable for if you have an event horse, in fact, my polo horse, I have one of my polo horses, feet fall apart when the moisture changes here. And I have the sound horse, which is a cuff style shoe. So that's an aluminum shoe and it comes in different configurations. Some are therapeutic, some are for racing, some are for just general use. And that has a, a Kevlar cuff that you glue to the, uh, the side of the foot. And those are extremely durable. Um, and I say, I play polo in, in, in uh, one of them. Um, I've used the, um, easy care, um, what they call the, um, the easy shoe on NG shoe, which is a, a urethane, uh, direct loose shoe. I've shot horses doing a hundred mile endurance races with them. So, okay. um, you know, just learn something. Go ahead. That? I said, I, I just, uh, after all this time, I never knew you were a polo player, Steve. What? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've been playing polo uh, about as long as I've been shoeing horses almost. Oh, um, my gosh. How cool. See, we'll have to talk to you about that next. I know you've got a client waiting and you have been no, very... Everybody's fine. Everybody's good. No okay. problem. We got uh, plenty of time. No rush if you need more questions. Oh, this has been great. Well, we, we're going to make sure everybody goes to Cornell Farrier program on Facebook. You can also go to the website, um, which is vet.cornell.com.edu. You can see all of the farrier programs. You guys have a school there. Just tell us a little bit about that before we let you go. Well, we have a 16 week farrier course. Um, it's a very intense, complete course. We like people that want to chew horses for a living, not just chew their own horses to be applicants. 
um, and good preparation, working, shadowing another farrier is a great way to get started. See what you like, how you like it, what the life of is. And, you know, we can teach. Um, we have a lot of uh, barriers out there. Uh, personally, I have over 100 students out there now. Um, some are on racetracks, some are on showgrounds uh, all over the country. So uh, we produce some pretty good barriers through this program. Yeah, really, really impressive. So again, Steve, p- people can find you guys uh, on Cornell's website or go to Cornell Farrier Program. And Steve Krause, Head of Farrier Services, thank you so much for joining us. This has been, I mean, I'm going to go back and listen to this again because it's so interesting and uh, stuff that I feel like we should always know, but we never do. So between the difference <laughs> if you're of- you're ever up I here, can- come and visit. Oh, without a doubt. Someday when they let us out of our house- houses, we will. thanks steve well good talking to you guys hope you're doing well down there and and um look forward to talking with you again all right wonderful thanks steve and of course nigel still wears his glue on shoes he was out here monday to get i know another 200 bill for glue on shoes (laughs) why now you know why it takes so long because he was talking about the takes two hours the foot is just insane how much they have to prep that two shoes takes two hours to put them on because and also they have to wait for it to dry in certain steps and all. I have never sat out there for the whole two hours. Believe me. No, I don't see you doing this, that very. This well. health segment was brought to you by the Horse Nutrition Podcast and the Horse Radio Network. Now in the third season, each show highlights some of the world's most extraordinary horses, how they're trained, and what kind of nutrition they're given to help fuel their performances. Episodes this year include training Hollywood hor- movie horses. You can find that right now. Therapy horses and helping veterans, and also an inside look at traditional charro horsemanship. It's all part of Purina's Full Rain documentary series. Go to PurinaMills.com slash Full Rain to see all the films, interviews, and podcasts. You can also find it on any podcast player. All right, it is, we have two more segments to go in our financial series for horse people, brought to you by Chicory Wealth. And today, we're going we're gonna to get one of those. And then we're coming back with our Black Rain's guest of the month, Professor Kamara Brown-Allen. We are excited to bring you another educational series here on the Horse Radio Network. This time, we're going to talk about finances with certified financial planner Christina Kramlick of Chicory Wealth. As horse owners, finances are something that we are acutely aware of, and hopefully this series will help us better understand where we are and where we can go with our financial situation. Well, Christina, we're back here with our continuing series on finances for horse people. What are we talking about this time? Well, I thought we'd uh, spend a little time talking about uh, what happens if you lose your job. As we've seen in the last few days, cases are going back up and the market's reacting to it. We are in the renewed throes of the pandemic and we'll probably be dealing with it, you know, one way or another for quite some time. So while unemployment has gone down since it peaked back in the spring, it's still at record high levels. So I figured it would be useful uh, just in case some of your listeners, if they are or some of their family members are affected by job loss right now, it'll be useful to share some tips that I've gathered to help out with health insurance questions that may come up. This is especially important because obviously we're all concerned about maintaining coverage in case we need treatment for corona. The health insurance system is complex. And personally, I find it... No, really? (laughs) (laughs) So I did a little research and I'm going to lay out some options for getting health coverage if you or your family becomes unemployed. 
Uh, first, a quick review. If you've always had health insurance through your employer or your spouse, and you've probably never had to think about getting coverage quickly. Some experts recommend getting Medicaid if you qualify and need coverage immediately, as it goes into effect actually right away. And keep in mind that Medicaid is actually insurance, whereas the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, is a set of regulations that enables government subsidies of private health plans. So it's kind of a two-step thing. So while Medicaid is primarily for lower-income and disabled people, the ACA has expanded its availability significantly. So the rules vary by state. In 36 states and D.C., adults can get Medicaid if their income is 138% or less of the federal poverty level, which is generally about $20,000 a year. There's also the Children's Health Insurance Program, which can help kids even if their families make too much to qualify for Medicaid. So that can be useful if there are kids in the picture. Keep in mind, there are no out-of-pocket charges for enrollees for most services, and the program covers the gamut of traditional healthcare needs, including doctor's visits, hospital stays, and drugs. Not all doctors participate, but, some, but most hospitals actually do. And you can apply for Medicaid at any time. There's going to be some hopes to jump through to sign up if you need to do it right away, but many patient advocates actually say Medicaid is the first option they'd recommend to someone who has suddenly lost coverage. So to figure out if you're eligible and apply, go to the Federal Health Insurance Marketplace at healthcare.gov or to your state's Medicaid agency directly. And so if you lose your insurance and you don't qualify for Medicaid, you can look at private health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. There's a 60-day window to get health insurance coverage immediately under the ACA without waiting for the normal annual re-enrollment period. You'll likely need to offer documentation that proves that you're losing health insurance in order to get it quickly. And depending on what state you're in, you can use healthcare.gov or a state ACA marketplace to enroll. The thing is, ACA plans often have high premiums, um, but you can also see if you qualify for a federal subsidy based on income. And actually, Jennifer and I have had Obamacare for the last four or five years since it came out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we're under that because, and, you know, we're independent. And it, it's been great. We've had no trouble. And every year we reapply and it works great. And actually, the website works terrific. Healthcare.gov is easy to set up and easy to go through. We, we really haven't had any trouble. That's fantastic. Yeah. Right. So I think I think it's useful, especially if you've always had private through your through your work, you know, to know that there are options is highly useful. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the subsidy situation because it's there's a there's there's a thing where if your income is uh, this year is less than 400 percent of the federal poverty level um, for your area, you might qualify for a subsidy. Sorry, for a subsidy, and with the subsidy, the plan could be super affordable and can include comprehensive benefits like medications, hospital and doctor visits, etc. Um, sometimes these ACA plans, I don't know about yours, Glenn, but sometimes they have high deductibles. So you have to pay a lot of money before the coverage kicks in, but it can be worth it. Um, and you can even get subsidies for the out-of-pocket costs as well sometimes. Yeah, ours isn't that high, actually. So we did pretty well, and our, our uh, monthly rates are not that bad. So, you know, it's being independent, uh, you know, you, you write off a lot of things. So uh, being an independent contractor actually kind of helped with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really good to know and very useful for horse people because there's, a, you know, I would imagine there's a lot of people that are independents 
in our world. Yep. So the other option, which a lot of people are probably a little bit more familiar with if they've transitioned jobs in the past is COBRA, which stands for the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act and allows you to keep your previous employer plan for as long as 18 months after you leave your job. You have to sign up within 60 days of losing your job-based coverage. COBRA is great, but it's super expensive. It can actually cost over 100%, up to 102% of the full premium on your employer plan. And most of us don't even know how much that is because generally when you're an employee, you're only paying a fraction of the total cost each month while you're working. The upside of COBRA is you can keep your current network of doctors and other healthcare providers. So this is this is a good thing and maybe worth it for you, like if you're in the middle of treatment for something, you know, COBRA or otherwise. My uh, and, brother recently had yeah. to do this when he left. Uh, before he could retire, he, he left because of this whole situation. And so he's older than me, probably early 60s. And he and his wife, the P- COBRA plan is over two grand a month. Yeah, it's super expensive. Yeah, yeah I, I went on Cobra about two years ago or three years ago, and um, yeah, it was like fifteen hundred dollars a month just mm. for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. But that ended. But still, it's you know you kind of have to weigh the pluses and minuses. But I did get to keep all my regular doctors, so that was good. So um, you can also join your spouse's plan. You have if you have a spouse and and they're working and have coverage, obviously. So you have to do that within thirty days of losing your coverage. And you need to call the employer for the details. Um, if you haven't lost your own coverage, you may need to wait until the employer's annual enrollment period comes up. A lot of times that's in the fall. Also, if you're under 26, you have the option of joining your parents' plan through COBRA. Again, it's a 30-day enrollment window to do this. And your parents will have to contract their employer or insurer in this case. Keep in mind, again, if you didn't just lose your coverage, your parents will probably have to wait to sign you up until the annual enrollment period opens up. So, again, you might be looking at other options like uh, Medicaid or ACA um, to, to bridge the gap. Finally, it's worth mentioning for people who are shopping around, there are a lot of insurers that sell short-term inter- insurance plans. The length and time and availability of these uh, varies by state. So I would just caution you, approach these options carefully. Uh, There's been reports of agents and salespeople exaggerating coverage claims that these policies would provide. So lots of times they'll only give you the plan if you're healthy and they have the right to reject consumers who have pre-existing conditions, even if it's a pre-existing condition that you didn't know about. And also their coverage can be very limited. They don't have to include the benefits required of ACA plans. So they may have huge gaps in coverage for things like maternity and mental health coverage. Proceed with caution there. Very good. A lot to think about when it comes to health insurance. Uh, If they're thinking about their long-term financial life and want some help with that, where do they go? They go to www.chickorywealth.com. Thank you for joining us for our financial discussion today. These concepts are broad in nature and may or may not apply to you. The content is provided for informational purposes only. Please see your financial advisor or call Christina at chickorywealth.com to discuss your individual needs. That's chickorywealth.com. 
All right. Well, we're going to go to our next segment now. Health insurance, by the way, was one of the things that uh, when I was in the financial world and selling that kind of stuff, oh, so confusing. It was confusing 30 years ago. It hasn't changed. What's confusing is, I don't know, being a consumer of it. You know, yes. <laughs> I, when, when, when I married Chad, I was like, wait, what? You just have health insurance through the military? What? I, I had like an HSA. I just, and the radio stations just tried to do as little as possible. Oh my gosh. And when you're I was like, this is great. <laughs> when you're independent, uh, it's tough. It's tough to find affordable. Health yeah. yeah. I've been on Cobra a long, a long time. <laughs> yeah. So. That ain't cheap. Uh, no. <laughs> all right. Ride horses, you need something. <laughs> let's go. Uh, our regular segment here. We do the first Wednesday of every month is with Black Rains Magazine. Of course, we had Stanford on the show here a couple of weeks ago. And today, his guest, he always provides a guest for us, and they're always the most fascinating people. We have Professor Kamara Brown. Uh, now, she is a professor at William Woods University, located in Fulton, Missouri. So we're going to get her on and chat with her a little bit. She's uh, in the hunter-jumper world and been that way since she was a kid. She also went to Delaware State. Used to drive through Delaware State. By the way. Yes. Kamara Brown. Hello. Hi, is this Kamara? Yes, this is her. Hey, this is Glenn and Jamie. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I should have said Professor Camara because it sounds such more more official. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's like doctor. You know, now you get to be called professor. It's that's cool. So, thank you for joining us today. What part uh, you are you just you just got this new gig, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, I just got hired in March. And I start August 20, no, sorry, August 17th. Wow. So where are you moving? For, are you moving to Missouri? For Where are you moving from? From Culpeper, Virginia. Oh, wow. That's a switch. <laughs> I mean, it's, yes. it's chilly in Virginia, but chillier in Missouri, I would imagine, in the winter. Yes. Ab- yeah, absolutely. But... Um, Prior, I did live in South Dakota for four years, oh, and wow. I loved it. Well, nothing's compared to that. So, <laughs> it's like, yes. You're you're ready. <laughs> Why Congratulations, does, you yeah. made it out alive. Yeah. You've done well. <laughs> yeah. And it being, um, we have listeners in South Dakota that are horse people. And did you have and ride horses when you were up there? Yes, I taught and coached their hunt seat team for South Dakota State University. And it's in Brookings, South Dakota. Oh, my gosh. And so you basically had a lot of indoors, right? Uh, Heated, I hope. (laughs) We had a heated, a very nice heated indoor arena. That's 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 why you made it out alive. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I want to go back in time before we talk to you about some of the current stuff. Uh, Because, you know, every girl that's listening to this show right now, every woman, teenager, doesn't matter their age, had one dream that they constantly would ask their parents for, and that was a pony. They always wanted a pony for Christmas. Now, you also had that dream, so tell us about your 12th birthday. Oh, absolutely. Um, I started riding when I was five, Um my we had horses in our backyard. They were from our neighbors. They weren't ours, and I always wanted to ride them. 
And um, so my mom got me my first set of riding lessons at five. Um, that, at the time, was very expensive for a five-year-old. So after I had the four weeks of lessons, she made me do track, soccer, um, basketball, which I was horrible. And, <laughs> um, so I kept wanting to ride, kept wanting to ride, kept wanting to ride. So then I was, when I was nine, she gave me another set of lessons and I never stopped. And, um, so still at that time, I just, mom, I want a pony, but I loved every single pony that I rode. So it was hard for her because, oh, well, I rode a new pony. Oh, I want that one, you know? And, um, so when my parents split, I, uh, was just, you know, I was like, mom, that means I'm really not going to get a pony. And she said, she called me honey bun. She said, honey bun, I promise one day you will get a pony. And so, you know, of course, every birthday you blow out those little, um, they're weeds, but you blow them and they. Dandelions. Yes. I would always wish on dandelions and I would get a pony. So, um, at that time, also, two Beanie Babies were very popular, and that was a little bit of my mom and I's bonding. We would stand in line for hours to get Beanie Babies, and um, so I kept asking for a pony, kept asking for a pony, and, you know, we worked at the barn. I, my mom was single, raising me and my brother, and... At that time, you know, I told my mom, I said, why can't you write a check for a pony? <laughs> it's not like it's money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kids don't think that's money. <laughs> it was like, honey, bunny, that's not how checks work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for my 12th birthday, she got me scratch tickets. And on the card, she said, scratch and wish for a pony. If it doesn't happen, um, flip the card over if you don't scratch and win enough. So I scratched the tickets. It was um, $10, $1 tickets. And um, I won $20. So that wasn't enough to get the pony that I wanted at the time. Her name was Nina. She was a Connemara. And so I flipped the card over and mom said, I sold all your beanie babies for $5,300. You can buy Nina now. I just person in tears and I jumped up and down and I was like, yeah, you know, I was just so excited. And so at that time, one of my really good friends called me on the barn phone and she said, KK, someone bought Nina. You've got to come to the barn. So it was like a ray of emotion that birthday. So I was excited and then I was devastated because someone bought my pony that I've been wanting. And so my mom was taking her time, getting ready. And I was just like, Mom, we've got to go. We've got to go. <laughs> and so we got to the barn, and I saw the cars of my grandmother and my cousin. And I was like, I, gosh, that's so sweet. They knew I was devastated for them to come to the barn. So then we walk in the barn, and I go to the pony stall door, and across the stall door was happy birthday. And then that's when it hit me that she was able to sell the Beanie Babies before they weren't as popular anymore before, and be able to buy this pony for me for my birthday. Okay, that- I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> it's a little dusty in here. 
I'm <laughs> still stuck on selling <laughs> Beanie Babies for fifty three hundred dollars. I was thinking you were going <laughs> to say I was so pissed she sold all my Beanie Babies. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, I, I believe that story. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was also. <laughs> That's a good I mom right there, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes, she knew me that well that I was. Even though I played with them all the time, she knew me that well that the pony was important. <laughs> That's a setup so too. Funny. I mean, she had this whole thing planned. What a cool mom! What a cool mom! I hope she here. Is she still around? Please tell me she's still around. Yes, good. she's still here. She's still with me. Well, good. Um, well, Mom, you did it. That look what you did, and look now she's working as a professor, teaching about horse stuff, working with the kids, and it's all because of you. I know you really wanted yeah. her to do something important, like be a doctor, but you know this is good too. She's <laughs> she's doing her thing. and probably the pony's yeah. still alive because Connemara's will live to they're about seventy eight years old. So. <laughs> Well, she lived to be 24. She 24? actually just passed away two years ago. And were you attached at the hip to this Connemara? Um, yes. And then I really started. She taught me a lot. She taught me a lot because she wasn't um, what you would call. She was green. So um, she wasn't trained. And. She taught me a lot. She taught you how to stay on and how to fall off? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. She taught me how to stay on. She taught me how to fall off. She taught me how to ride a buck. She taught me a lot. Okay. Um, 12-year-old girl, un, you know, green pony. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. What's wrong? Exactly. (laughs) And in that day, no helmet either, probably. Uh, So I, I've also been stalking you on your Facebook page, and uh, there's a co- couple other things I have to uh, bring up here. I, this is important conversation here. I saw a picture of uh, – there's a rule, by the way, that we've had for 10 years on this show. We've had 2,500 episodes, and we've been espousing this rule since day one, and you broke it. And that rule was never have a horse in your wedding. And I saw a wedding picture of you in your wedding gown on a horse, <laughs> on a Palomino. Please tell me you didn't get bucked off like always happens what on your wedding. What could possibly go <laughs> <You're> wrong? wrong. <laughs> no, that horse was a saint. He was a saint. Um, he, he was awesome. Did the you... only one I would do that on. He, he was such a saint. <laughs> Did you ride in or was it just for the pictures? It was just for the pictures. Actually, um, we got married in a beautiful barn that is down the road from our house. And the barn was built like one of my favorite horse movies, Black Beauty. And um, I wanted to walk down the aisle with my horses with their heads hanging out of the stalls, like in Black Beauty. I like you um, so much more now. (laughs) My favorite book of all time. (laughs) See, Glenn, so, um, other people like that book and movie, too, just because you don't <laughs> suck it. <laughs> We're best friends I'm now. I'm just thinking okay. about how, I'm just thinking about how Kamara's uh, pissing off uh, all of the listeners right now, because the ones who didn't get a pony on their birthday when they were kids, and now she's talking about this perfect barn wedding. I mean, <laughs> oh, and that I do have to talk to you about one other picture I saw, too. So, there's a picture sure. of you and your husband, and... <laughs> 
this made me crack up this morning. And I've been kind of sick for two days, so I wasn't laughing much. But you broke it this morning when I saw this picture. It's a picture of you and your husband. He's in like, I don't know, a Christmas sweater. Um, and he's holding a little tiny Jack Russell. And you're there with a big German Shepherd on your side. He's got the little Jack Russell and you're holding the German Shepherd. And all I could think of is that is a horse marriage right there. The guy's holding the Jack Russell and you're the German Shepherd. It just is an epitome of a horse marriage. <laughs> Did he know what he was getting into? Is he a horse guy? Um, luckily, yes. His brother rides. He's a huntsman in Kentucky. His mother, his mother, um, stepmother is a huntsman here in uh, Culpeper, and his dad rides as well. So his brother, his parents ride. So he knew what he was getting into with a horse girl. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hunt too? Yes, I hunt too. Wow. I, you you do it all. So let's talk a little bit about your new job. Um, we, uh, as part of the podcast here, we do cover collegiate uh, collegiate equestrian programs and have for the last several years. Uh, is uh, Tell us a little bit about William Woods University, which is one I've never heard of, so you'll have to fill us in there. Sure. Um, so previously, I have coached for... Um, two NCEA programs um, sponsored by the NCAA. So when I went to college, I actually had a full riding scholarship to Delaware State University to ride on their equestrian program. And then I and now the other so, third of the horse girls are pissed off uh, that weren't pissed <laughs> off about the first two things. You're just, you're on a roll oh. today. <laughs> no, I'm hoping to inspire. Okay, good. Everyone. I don't say I'm <laughs> not pissed. I just like her really a lot. <laughs> Go ahead. And, I'm sorry. Um, I also coach for Bridgewater College. They have the IHSA program. William Woods is very unique. Um, they are the oldest equestrian studies program in hmm. the country. I didn't know that. And um, you can go there. So majority of their student population is made up of riders. And, you know, when you look at other universities, it's the football or basketball program. But for William Woods, it's their equestrian program. Um, they have two indoor arenas. They have an outdoor arena. They have over 150 horses. They have four different disciplines. Saddle seat, western, the hunter jumper, and dressage. And um, four different instructors. And you can major in anything equine. So if you want to be a farrier, work for an equine journal or a magazine, it's not just being a riding instructor or a rider. There's they cover everything that involves the equine industry. It's really cool. Wow, I, never, I didn't even know this. That's, that is cool. I can see why you're yeah. moving to Missouri. This is like paradise for, for, a, for horse yes. college, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. I'm looking at pictures. It's beautiful, too. I'm, I'm on their website checking out the pictures. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Do you think, uh, you know, I think that collegiate... 
you know, some of the colleges have been really having trouble keeping their programs going. And I know you went through that, too. I don't want to go into that now. But uh, they've been really having trouble keeping their programs going. And going to a school like this, you know that's not going to be the case, at least, right? Yes, absolutely. Correct. So do you do which which program are you in? Are you in are you in the uh, which collegiate program are you involved in at William Woods? I'm the Hunter Jumper program. Hunter Jumper. Okay, good. Good. Well, cool. Well, good luck with that. It's been so much fun talking to you today. I'm sorry I was picking a little bit, but <laughs> you, <laughs> you you have such a cool life. It's so much fun. We we said when we started this show 10 years ago that every horse person has a story. You have 20. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So it's good. And good luck with the new gig. I'm very excited for you. Thank you so much. All I right. really appreciate it. And I'm going to put a link. Uh, if you want to check out the pictures I was talking about, I'll put a link to your Facebook page as well. Thank you, Kamara. Appreciate you being on. You're welcome. Have Thanks, a good Kamara. rest of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. Stanford does a good, such a great job bringing us guests. <laughs> Thank you to Stanford from Black Rains Magazine for providing that. You can go over to Black Rains Magazine, Black Rains TV, all of his uh, media empire over there. You can find it. Just uh, Google that, and you'll find it over there. But uh, that's cool. Did you know about William Woods? I feel like I knew somebody that went there. Well, that's um, kind of cool that... Equestrian's kind of the center of the universe there. That's kind of yeah. neat. Not football. Actually, that, I actually think I know somebody who goes there right now, actually. Well, that's very cool. Well, now she'll yeah. have a new teacher. <clears throat> Perfect. Well, we're, hang around here. If you're an auditor, we're going to talk about some Jamie drama. Big surprise uh, that happened oh, in the last God. couple of days. I was kind of under the weather and missed it, so I got to get caught up on what oh, went on. Oh, you missed it. <laughs> oh, you missed it. All right. Uh, tomorrow, Somebody we have the driving me. episode. Wendy set up a ton of guests, so it's going to be a fun driving episode tomorrow. Guess what we're talking about? We're talking to a lady who drives llamas. That's right. No, she that's puts a not cart a behind llamas. Llama driving. They have llama driving shows in the United States. I'm not kidding. So that's tomorrow's show. Be sure to tune in. And of course, Dr. Wendy has her traditional Chinese medicine segment. We're going to be talking about driving tandem. That is where one horse is in front of another. Uh, so you're driving them straight out instead of side by side. That's Wendy's favorite way to drive. It is kind of an interesting thing to do. And we're going to be doing all of that on the driving show tomorrow. And then Jamie will be back on Friday for some really bad ads. So get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Uh, and you'll find Jamie at what? Uh, what's the best place? Your, your Facebook you page? You can find me at Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor on Facebook. Just search for Flyover Farm. I think it's like the first one to come up. Very good. Auditors, hold on. We got to talk about some drama. Oh, God. Speaking of Flyover Farm drama. Hey, Nutterdale, everybody. It. I was sick. I was in bed. I missed it. I banned her, so all of her comments disappeared, and I'm kind of bummed because I wanted to sell her out.